Charlie, the Bulldogs have got two flags now. I hate you. If you think we'll be insightful, clever or just when we search, we're here to say that's not the case. We'll just go out and wing it. We are two guys, one car. It is a Monday, August the 14th, Los Angeles time. Uh, welcome to Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast. My name is Will Anderson. And my name is Charlie Clawson. And Charlie, it's, it's, it's a sad day. It's a, it's a day that I knew at some stage would come, but a day that even now that it has come, it has come too soon. Mm. Oh, do you want me to... Uh... Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. I, I, I figured I wanted to give you your, your time in the, in the sun. Like, it was like, this is, this is very much a bulldog's announcement. And, uh, we know two weeks ago, you let me wax lyrical about Nick Revolt. So I thought I'd allow you that time. Well, at the stage of recording this podcast, we should point out for the record that it is only on the record that, uh, Robert Murphy, Bob Murphy has announced that he is going to call a press conference to announce something. So, we're all assuming that he's going to announce he's retiring at the end of the season. But you know what, Charlie? It could be a new two-year contract. Maybe he's going to be there with Bevo and they've just signed him up for another two years and everything's fine and this sadness and emptiness inside that I'm feeling right now will, will not stay with me. Maybe this is actually a great day. Maybe Bob's looked at this year. He's like, you know what? Yeah, we obviously, you know, premiership hangover, you know, we had some bad injuries. Maybe we're not going to figure in the finals. I've got to recommit for another couple of years, you know, so that I can be there. So when the Bulldogs challenge again, so maybe, maybe I've gone too soon, Charlie. Maybe he's gone too soon. I mean, we haven't heard anything he's had to say on the matter, but I will be interested to know what the decision is, uh, if it's a question, because to see him play, like to see that goal on Friday night and to see the way he moves, he still looks like he belongs out there, but if it's one of those... Don't go, man. What? Don't go. Well, that's... Like, that's my thing. I'm like, don't go. Don't retire. But he Just don't, keep but, playing. But, but, it, but it might be the case that after each game, he has to sit in an ice bath for like five days because he's just so sore and it's so hard for him to, to get his body right for the next game. And if that's the case, then it's like, you know what? You know, you don't want to go on with... You don't want to go on with chronic injuries, Will, do you? Well, Charlie, you know what? I haven't sat down for two fucking months. <laughs> And I've been flying to gigs and still doing my job. So if Bob Murphy needs to sit in a fucking ice bath for five days a week, like some sort of weird polar bear to get up for game day, then fucking do it, Bob. You're a long time retired. Yeah, I, uh, I don't want to see Bob Murphy retire. There's, there's been a few vintage of, uh, of this year who are retiring, the Sam Mitchells and Nick Revolts and stuff, who that was a really good era of football for me. Like the 2000s, not only because of St Kilda were playing good football, but I just went to some, that was probably where I think I got the most out of my football, where I went to my most amount of games and really started getting back into AFL again. Because I, I really loved it as a teenager. I sort of tailed off into my early 20s. And then in the early 2000s, I got back into football again. And all these dudes are retiring now. They were the superstars of the last 10, 15 years. And Bob, you know, of all the kind of uh, uh, amazing players, he was the one who sort of seemed most like us like when we started this podcast it was for people like bob murphy like if you read a bob murphy column he's obviously a great footballer but he has this perspective which is not typical to most footballers 
Right. The idea that it's a game, but the idea that, like, he was a guy who, I mean, you said it, he, he was the captain I wanted of the Bulldogs. Yeah. You know, the Bulldogs, he's, he's the guy who represents the sort of Bulldogs that I follow and the attitude of that team. And he's been such a constant in that team for the pretty much the entire time that I've been, you know, serious about as an adult following that team. And he's just been such a great person to have there at the heart of it all and I'm really sad that it looks like at this stage in our season that you know he's probably not going to get the chance to you know play in the finals and have a crack at winning a premiership himself but you know he's got that grand final medallion from last year so it's you know as good as right he fucking gave it back mate you should ask for it back now that maybe that's what the press conference is for (laughs) maybe he's going to actually call a press conference just to announce that he's had a look at the Bulldogs run into the finals he's not very confident so he'd like to announce that he's asking for Bevo's medal back please um yeah do you have a favorite bob murphy performance or moment oh gee that's a, that's a hard one i i mean he is so much to me um an example of a guy who it's the consistency of his performance that stands out perhaps more than you know, like when he came into the game there was that sort of like idea that you know maybe he'd fucking win a brown though you know like mm. that Whereas he's ended up being one of those players who's just been perpetually classy and like has managed to evolve his game. And I think that's the thing that I most admire about him is like a guy who never has really looked like an AFL footballer Mm. has managed to play, you know, three or four very separate, you know, generations of the game of AFL football and been good in each and every one of those generations of the game. Like found a way with a non-natural athlete's body, but with, you know, great disposal and great courage and great skill and all those sort of things to, to become a very great footballer. He's a absolute legend and probably the most, yeah, well, one of, you know, one of the top five most loved, you know, players in the history of the Bulldogs, but he wins that, you know, when that, the AFL players do their little poll, like he wins that every year. Mm. Like he's the most popular player in the AFL from the other AFL players as well. Yeah. Like he's just that guy. He's the kind of like, he's like if it was a John Hughes movie, he's the kind of like cool guy who doesn't really belong to any group, but everyone kind of likes him. He's like almost like Ferris Bueller. You know what I mean? Right. Like he sort of... He is. That's who he is. He's fucking Ferris Bueller. He just, you always got the sense that he was able to just like work out how to like make the world work around him. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. He's out with an injury and everybody's sending him like flowers and condolence cards <laughs> and passing around. They're like, oh, we're raising some money save for Bob, Bob Murphy's operation. <laughs> save, save, save Bob, Bob. Murphy. Yeah. That's right. And meanwhile, like, uh, Gil McLaughlin's like desperately trying to prove that he's not injured. He's sneaking around to his house and climbing <laughs> up the fence. Trying to expose Bob Murphy. Bob Murphy isn't this cool guy that everyone says he is. Bob Murphy plays the system. <laughs> he's always hanging out with his best mate, Will Minson, <laughs> who's really, really sad about. Yeah, no, it's funny because you, you think about what a, what football clubs are like and the kind of, you know, personality, that alpha male personality type. Like you think of John O'Brown or, or a Tex Walker type when you think of like a footballer. But then to drop a dude like that in who sort of thinks a bit differently, you know, doesn't sort of seem to rely on the on being like the biggest and the strongest or whatever. Yet has this universal admiration and respect, and was voted to be a leader. It's 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 really interesting. I think it kind of says a lot about where the game can go as well. I guess if I was going to say uh, a favourite Bob Murphy moment, it was probably when he took the leadership. Like he was a guy who'd always been a leader at the club without actually ever sort of aspiring to or like lobbying to, or there'd be much talk about him being the actual captain of the club. And when our club fell apart. 
And I guess that's why it was so emotional for everybody last year with the medal thing, was the idea that when the club fell apart, he was the guy who knew that he had to stand up. He was the guy who's like, well, I have to be captain. I have to be the person who leads us through this mess, and I have to be the person who stands up and puts, you know, my name and my reputation on the line. And I think that probably, you know, much like I've talked about on this podcast about Rui, how the last part of his career has you know, genuinely added value to the legend of his career. I think it's the same with Bob. Yeah, I mean, Hall of Famer for sure. Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, Bulldogs, obviously, but yeah, I would say Hall of Famer. But fuck, this year of retirees, there's going to be some that just won't get in. Like, I mean, people are talking about all the legends who retired this year. And poor old Matty Prittis, who won a fucking Brownlow <laughs> and could have won like three of them, barely gets a fucking mention. Like, you know, there's so many good players to retire that people keep leaving Matty Prittis off their list. What's, what, what, uh, how many best and fairest did Bob Murphy win? What's his kind, do you know what his achievement tally is? Don't think he would have won a, I don't know if he won a Bulldogs best and fairest. I, I may be doing him a disservice, but he, I mean, obviously Scott West won six oh, that's when right. he was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, And, um, and, uh, in these latter years, I mean, Bonsori, Bons you know, I, I, I would, I, I don't know. I'm, I might have a look at his record. Let's have a... We can have a Google. A little, a little Bo Peep, as I'd say, in uh, football oh, footy show parlance. Yeah, let's, uh, let's go into our version of the lab, Charlie, which is uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> and... Uh, oh, no, hang on. Uh, uh, let's go to this one first, just because it was the first one that came up when I put in Bob Murphy in Wikipedia. It is not the Bob Murphy we were looking for, but let's just learn a little bit about this Bob Murphy before we move sure. on. Sure. Uh, Robert Patrick Murphy, born 23rd of May, 1976. Oh, so around the same age. Huh. Is an American economist, consultant, and author. Fair to say that uh, Robert Patrick Murphy has not aged as well as Bob Murphy, the footballer, <laughs> I would say. Um, all right, Bob Murphy, not sportscaster. Jeez, mm. oh, my God. Oh, I'm in America. I suddenly realized what, like... It's geolocating you to, your, to American Bob Murphys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Robert Murphy, footballer. Here we go. Uh, Robert Bob Murphy, born 9th of June uh, 1982, is a professional Australian rules footballer playing for the Western Bulldogs. Yep, blah, 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 blah. Um, all right. Uh, early career. Oh, well, so the famous things we know about Bob Murphy, of course. We've talked about this before. Uh, he's the uh, third and youngest child of John and Monica Murphy, uh, who were a priest and a nun. Yep. So, I mean, you know. Immaculate conception. Uh, in Bob We Trust. Uh, Bob was uh, drafted to the Western Bulldogs with pick 13 in the 1999 National Draft. Hmm. After spending much of the 2000 season developing his slim frame, <laughs> oh, Wikipedia, uh, he made his debut in round 19 against Carlton at Princess Park, gathering 13 disposals and kicking a goal in a thrilling three-point so victory. So 13's a lucky number for him. Drafted at, thir drafted at pick 13 and first game he had 13 touches. Uh, in 2001, he was nominated for the AFL Rising Star. Uh, did not win, obviously. Yeah, I think um, Kajitsky or Revolt won that. Oh, but a little podcast link. Um, he was nominated in round 16 after playing against the Saints. There you go. Motherfucker. <laughs> uh, in 2011, he had one of his best ever seasons, finishing second in the Bulldogs' best and fairest and earning his first selection in the All-Australian. So there you go. Yeah. So he was All-Australian in 2011. Um, so he might and uh, in 2015, he was named Captain of the Year at the AFL-PA Awards. So he might not make... Uh an AFL Hall of, Hall of Fame because he doesn't have the runs on the board. It's that whole Lou Richards debate, right? 
I mean, it's a good point. I mean, he's played over 300 games, so that puts you in the mix, I think. But yeah, I guess you, when you get into the mix of this year's people, then, you know, on paper, it doesn't stack up quite as much as like, you know, your Sam Mitchells and Luke Hodges and stuff who have four premierships think, to bring them I think the that actually speaks more to his influence. The fact that he hasn't been this dominant player with like, you know, multiple BNFs and Brownlows or whatever, and he's still held in such high regard. I think that says a lot more about him. Yeah, well, he strikes me as being one of those people like like Geelong have tend to have like you know one of them Corey in their team at pretty much any time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one of those guys who's like, oh yeah, you played three hundred games and you were good in each of them, and you got one Brownlow vote ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, should we move on to the results because it sort of tails into your yes. boys? Uh, now, did you get to see much football this weekend? Uh, Charlie, somebody uh, messaged us on our Facebook page and they said, if between us we hadn't watched more than two games of football, <laughs> then they were going to stop listening to the podcast. Uh, so with that in mind, could I, sa- could I ask you how many games of football did you watch on the weekend? I watched all but two. Well, I would say that in between us, we have watched all but two of the games <laughs> this weekend. All right, let me take you through it. So, uh, yeah, GWS and Bulldogs, it actually was a... a, 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 a I was... In the second quarter, when you guys started to come at them, I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, this is the Bulldogs are starting to bark and snarl. And then GWS just like, they just fucking found another gear. It was brutal to watch. It was, I mean, not only the Toby Green boot to the face was brutal, but that to me was emblematic of the game itself. They just, they just, they just did what they wanted to do. Like it was, it was one of those, you talk about teams like flexing muscles. They just, they're just real good, and they're getting good at the right time of the year. Well, you referred to GWS as football pornography. It's like watching football pornography. Well, Toby Green's kind of like if you ever stumble onto pornography and then suddenly something in the scene makes you feel really uncomfortable that you're involved in <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. You know, like the power imbalance is a bit out or something yeah. happens, and you're like, Toby, that's what Toby Green's like. He's the he's when your pornography, you click on one too many links and things get a little dark and dirty. But the weird thing is, like... He's the perfect villain, but they couldn't have designed him better in a lab weird science style because five minutes after he boots Dalhouse in the face, he then takes a hanger in the goal square and kicks a goal. Like, he reminds me of when you played junior footy, there was always that team that was like really good in your league and there was that one player who was really good. Maybe he's a, a few years older than everyone else and would just strut around and bully kids. Like, Toby Green just bullies players. He bullies all of them. I mean, it's hard to know with this whole boot in the face thing. Like, I don't think it was an intentional he meant to do that. But it's more everything he does in life, that's his attitude. He puts, he puts the boot in life's face. Yeah, that's exactly. That's like, if they have a t-shirt, you know, like those Michael Jordan Nikes and they have that iconic picture of outline of that silhouette of him. Mm. Like, Toby Greens would be kicking someone in the face. <laughs> yeah. That's my silhouette. Like, it's just one of those things where he's, you know what he's like? He reminds me of like the three-year-old at the playground who's just pushing over yes. all the kids and like, you know, sticking his boot in their face and you're like, oh, well, he's just three. He's probably rambunctious. And you're like, no, I think he likes kicking people in the face. Yeah, he's got a bit of that serial killer um, uh, look to him, doesn't he? Like, you know, that kind of Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. Like, he doesn't get flustered by any of this stuff. Like, he goes and kicks a dude in the face. And then the other team remonstrate with him. And he just gets buffeted with this completely just kind of benign, calm look on his face. As if, yeah, this is what I do. Like, I, I don't understand... Like, in his mind, he's looking at the player, remonstrating with him, wondering, could I skin and eat this person? (laughs) (laughs) Or do I have to adhere to societal norms? 
I mean, and he has a habit too. Like, I mean, he, he the first, like, he punched Caleb Daniel, like the cutest, littlest player in the AFL, and then he puts a fucking boot in the face of Luke Dalhouse, who's the second cutest, littlest <laughs> player on the Bulldogs list. Like, it's literally he's going after the most adorable other players, and like, oh, you think you couldn't hate me more than when I punched Caleb Daniel in the face? Well, I'm gonna shoo Luke Dalhouse in the face. In his beautiful face. Um, yeah, if you're a Bulldog supporter, like I understand it would be kind of heartbreaking. But at the same time, I just don't know what any team could have done in that scenario. They just, they just, like, John, John O'Patton was on fire. He was like strutting around, kicked three goals in the first quarter. He looked like he was going to have a big game. It just, I, I was fooled into thinking it was going to be an even match. But then, you know, by the end of it, you saw, you know, what the differences between the top four teams in this league are and everyone else. Well, I mean, I look, you know, it, this makes it very difficult for us to make the finals. We've got two very hard games, Port and uh, Hawthorne, and we'll have to win both of them to make the finals. Um, if we win both of those, then the great news about the finals is it just does feel a little bit like, you know, all bets are off come the finals. You just never know on the day what you can do. But the Bulldogs, the way they're playing, and, you know, certainly they don't have enough of their good players playing well enough, and there's some real holes in that team at the moment of guys where you're just like, what's happening with you? Like, I mean, Libba, Libba just looks like a shell of the player that he used to be. And like Stringer is not playing well at all. And there's like a, there's a bunch of guys who are so terribly, terribly out of form and have been now for a, a long time. So what is the theory on Libba? Is it an injury? Is he carrying something? I mean, check his pockets to see if he's carrying anything. <laughs> that might be the theory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's hard when you're a player who's got a reputation for liking a good time yeah. that when you don't play well, suddenly everybody blames on the fact that you like a good time. But it might not be that at all. He's certainly a player that it's unusual for him just not to be a presence in the game because when he was at his best, he was just so ferocious. Mm. Like, that was the style. Like, he's not the most skilled player in the world, but the his level of aggression and sort of attitude that he brought to the game was what made him so great. And, you know, the other night... From what I saw on the like, you know, like uh, about the game, he was just unsighted. Yeah, and did you see uh, after the game as uh, the Giants players been let off? Uh, some Bulldogs fans, someone threw uh, a cup of mysterious yellow liquid <laughs> over the fence at Toby Green. Did you see that? Hang on, was it mysteriously yellow liquid? Is that what well, they're saying? Well, look, I mean, it could have been beer. I mean, beer has a golden tinge to it. But there was... Beer is a mysterious yellow liquid. Mid-strength beer at Etihad is a mysterious yellow liquid. Well, they, if you watch the... they, You can't see the person who throws it. But you see as the players come off, as Toby Green is sort of passing under the... under the Where the, the, the crowd is under the race, you just see like this bomb of liquid just miss him as if someone's tipped out an entire cup. Um, and there was theories that maybe a particularly annoyed Bulldogs fan <laughs> ran to the bathroom and gave a urine sample to dump on Toby's head. Well, if that's true, and if that's what happened, they should be fucking banned from the game. Like, the truth of it is that no matter what somebody does on the field, you don't have the right to fucking vigilante justice it up. You know, it's not like a, you know, citizen's arrest. You're like, no, 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 I punished him. I threw a cup of piss on his face. It's the fucking football. If it's, and secondly, if it's not piss, if it's just beer, is it still like a, a life ban or do you go, well, that's less, less serious? Well, for, like they've already paid a fine because they've paid like $19 <laughs> for a beer at Eddie had and they've poured most of it away. So 
like I feel like that's punishment enough. <laughs> like Toby Green likes a beer. It's not like Toby Green hasn't had a situation before in his life where somebody's tipped beer on his head. Normally, it's in a really fun way, just before he gets kicked out of a nightclub for kicking a bouncer in the face. <laughs> Do we have to say allegedly after that? I don't know. No, because I wasn't actually alleging that happened. I was making a comic riff. But it probably fucking happened. <laughs> Dirty little fucking Matrix karate motherfucker. Cabbage patch face, little fucking Jesus. Squeeze your bloody head till it pops off. Here's the thing. I, I reckon I, I, that sort of incident, I would have said it should have been a free kick that he probably, you know, like, the, I don't know if he should have got suspended for it, but I think the AFL needed to send a signal that you shouldn't do that. Well, isn't it? Like, I'm not sure that he it, did it. It's the same as kicking in danger, right? Like, I don't think, you know, a player right. necessarily going to kick the ball off the ground. He's just trying to get an advantage. I think Toby Green wasn't intending to boot him in the face. He was just trying to cr- protect the space by sticking his foot out. But, yeah. You know, you just need to. I think. I think the fine he got was appropriate. I think a fifteen hundred dollar fine and the message to anyone else that hey, don't get any ideas. Like if you do this again, then it's going to be like rough conduct or whatever. I think that makes sense. But if it was any other I, player but Toby Green, like if it had been, I don't know, Bob Murphy who had kicked someone in the face, like no one would have a problem with it. It's just because it's that little evil Chucky doll, Toby Green. <laughs> Well, that is it, part of it, right? Yeah. And the other thing is, though, I heard people defend Toby Green, and I heard some people say that it was fucking Luke Dalhouse's fault. <laughs> and I'm like, hang on, what? I'm like, no, like that's victim blaming of the highest order. What he led with his face, like he should have. They were like, he should have had better reactions. I'm like, no, 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 no. He's allowed to run towards the guy to tackle him. Up at the SCG, uh, it was uh, it was a slaughter. I was almost tempted to pick Frio. I don't know what I was thinking, but the Swans absolutely decimated uh, Frio. Um, probably the most interesting thing that came out of this game is all the talk. Um, your mate Brad Hardy, the uh, the scoop he got about Ross Lyon approaching Collingwood. Have you heard this? Yeah. So Brad Hardy is my mate. I need to <laughs> put that on the record before we launch into this conversation. And uh, and I like the fact that Brad Hardy is my mate. Uh, you know, he was obviously, you know, the 1985 Brownlow medalist and he's very dear in my heart. And, and the guy got you to back with the him. Bulldogs, right? Exactly. He comes to the, like, you know, we catch up, we go and have a, a catch up and uh, he's a good guy. And I really enjoy his work, but he did come out during the week and uh, put on the record that he'd heard that uh, Ross Lyon... Well, not that Ross personally, that's the, the the first thing, that a third party on Ross's behalf might have sounded out Eddie about the Collingwood coaching job. Mm. And fair to say, it was not received well. Yeah, I mean, it's this, it's this sort of interesting, I've had a lot of discussion about this from football journalists, and there is this kind of, uh, look, Brad Hardy is not a football journalist. He is an opinion giver, right? Like, he's the guy that you bring in because he's a... Uh, a footballer with uh, accomplishments so you can get to comment on something, but he doesn't, he's not an investigative journalist. Where it gets a bit dicey is like people who decide to report on it because here's the thing. There's rumors flying around uh, about footballers all the time, football and footballers all the time. Even you and I on this crappy little podcast, there are stuff that we won't talk about on the show that we've heard from other people because you just put it down to rumor. It seems odd that of all the things that, you know, Brad's probably heard, that this is the one he decides to float. Like, I'm sure he has probably half a dozen things he's heard that, you know, would be maybe have some evidence, maybe not. But unless that person he spoke to was, I don't know, works for Collingwood or was Eddie Maguire himself? I mean, 
if you if you watched any of this Sydney Frio game, it wouldn't have surprised me if they cut to Ross Lyon in the box and he was actually on the phone to Eddie Maguire. <laughs> he actually got a different phone. He wasn't going down to the bench of the players anymore. He was literally ringing up Eddie to say, can I come and coach at Collingwood? Um, I guess it's because Ross Lyon has form, right? It's one of those things that there's a small part of people that want to believe something like yeah. that because he's done it before. Yeah, I mean, it's like if Wayne Carey is photographed having lunch with a friend's wife... People are going to ask questions, right? Right. Well, that happened earlier on this season, right? There was a really good example of the fact that everybody believed that rumour that he had to address, and and that's the problem. He's 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 got form in that regard, you know. So I guess that's the problem with Rossi Lyon is that people go, why wouldn't you want to get out of Frio? And you know, he could go and coach at Collingwood. But can you imagine? Do you think that like Eddie would like is Ross Lyon what Collingwood want as their coach? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think for, for where Collingwood are at and the dis, if Collingwood fans are disgruntled with uh, Nathan Buckley in the way he sort of communicates, then you're not going to like Ross Lyon. Like, Ross Lyon doesn't sugarcoat things. He, like, you know, he's the kind of guy who has to be pushed into doing a press conference. Like, he obviously doesn't like doing those messages to the fans and messages to the members. Like, it would take, to go to Collingwood, which is the most popular in the public eye team, like his PR requirements would double. I mean, Nathan Buckley doesn't even cope with it. Like, imagine Ross Lyon in that role. Yeah, like Nathan Buckley, who is the best media performer of all the coaches, is having a breakdown at the moment about the media. <laughs> like, Ross Lyon in that seat and the Ross and Eddie show. I don't know how that would yeah. go. I mean, I think I would like it because Ross Lyon, uh, our mate Michael Chamberlain from Junk Time AFL likes to think of Ross Lyon as the drunk uncle at a, at a, at a party. And I can kind of see that. Like, he's just kind of got that incorrigible kind of quality where he doesn't mind saying the wrong thing just to kind of make his point and then to shut up. And I would love to see that at Collingwood because, you know, Eddie's got a habit every now and then of putting his foot in his mouth. I'd love to see, like, Ross Lyon having to back his boss up in that regard. I mean... Don't get me wrong, it would lead to some brilliant entertainment, but much in the same way as if you said, hey, it'd be great if Tony Abbott was Prime Minister of Australia again. Yes, you'd get some great onion eating and some crazy knighthoods, but it comes with some other baggage. Yeah, totally. And what about the Swans? I mean, we should talk a little bit about the actual game. Uh, they could win... Buddy was back. The, yeah, they, they could... They, I mean, it's no joke that they could win the flag, is it? I mean, they look capable of beating any of those teams we've been talking about all year, like Adelaide, GWS, Geelong. How do we deal with an all-Sydney grand final if that's what happens? Who do you barrack for? I used to be into the Swans, and then in the last seven or eight years, they've lost me. Like I liked them back when it was the no-dickhead policy Paul Ruse era, and then when it became the Bondi billionaires, I'm just, I don't know. They, I don't quite like them, and GWS, you can't barrack for the Cobra Kai. I, oh, I don't know. I guess you go with the Swans, but... Part of me wants to see them lose. I mean, I'd like to, them to have a draw and then to bring back the the, the replay and they can play it at um, spotless. Well, you know what? Maybe we maybe what we want is the Giants to win because then the only way we can stop a dynasty is to get that premiership hangover happening and happening fast. Like if it's happening for the Bulldogs, that might be the only hope. St Kilda's window is meant to open from next year. So if we can get the G the Giants their first premiership this year and then just get them to a long, long hangover, like maybe a four-year hangover, in which time we can come along and poach all their young guns who have achieved that flag that they wanted to achieve at GWS and now looking to get paid somewhere else, that could be the best thing for the rest of us. I, I like this as an idea, Charlie, because 
what about like as a like a way of equalizing the competition, right? Because the truth of it is, unless you're the supporter of the club, nobody else likes when like you know somebody wins four grand finals, you know, like Hawthorne have done, right? It makes you resent that team. So maybe what we do is a built-in sort of thing. We get like a team together. I'm thinking like Campbell Brown. Yep. I'm thinking Carmichael Hunt. Yep. I'm thinking like you know how the AFL likes to give jobs to ex-players. Mm. I'm thinking Dane Swan, and you put together like a a premiership party posse, and it's their job. To essentially put in place, like, you know, the celebrations post winning the AFL yeah, Grand Final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it guarantees that it's such a great party that it equalizes the rest of the competition for the next year. <laughs> I love that. The party plan is definitely. Yeah, so basically, like, you know, when the Saints are doing altitude training in Denver, Swanee's still got the GWS in Vegas. Yeah, Carmichael Hunts. Carmichael's organizing a golf trip on the Monday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, we're just having a golf day. Carmichael Hunt's organized the whole thing. We're playing golf right around the Why world. We... Eight courses in Colombia yeah. for some reason. Yeah, exactly. We're playing nine holes in Bolivia. <laughs> uh, Mike Al, can we see the next game, please? At Skilled Stadium, the Mighty Cats defeated a very disappointing Richmond. Now, I watched this game and it kind of was hard to get a read on where this fits into the overall Richmond narrative? Because this kind of surprised me. I thought that Richmond were going to win and it was going to be this great kind of like bandwagon was going to gather some momentum going into the finals. But all it's kind of done is reaffirm some old um, the preconceived notions we have about both clubs. Yeah, and I think actually now that it's happened, that's exactly what the story needed. So oh, I right. thought before this game, you were lo- you were loving this Richmond at- story. Like you're a guy where I'm like, oh, I don't know this. Uh, this the second half of this new season of my favorite show is getting a bit ropey. You're like, no, no, this is great. This is great. Yeah, this, this is my favorite season. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm all up in Richmond because it's reminded us of their previous fragilities. And like, if you're storyboarding this story, this is what you want. A couple of weeks out from something important, you want the hero on the hero's journey to have a bit of a stumble, to have the old demons sort of haunt them again. I think this is the perfect opportunity for it. They're meant to win the game. They go down to Geelong. Geelong are undermanned. But it's also a game that you can lose and still keep winning because everyone finds it hard to beat Geelong at Geelong. It's not the biggest deal in the entire world. So I think for me, this is a perfect sort of, gets a few of the demons going, Mm. gets people talking about whether Richmond, and it sets it up. If they do happen to like finish top four and then lose both of their finals, I mean, oh, I mean, talk about red weddings, Charlie. (laughs) That is going to be... You guys listening can't see, but Will almost started rubbing his nipples when he started talking about the red wedding. Then you're so into. I don't see. I feel like a straight set to exit is is too obvious for Richmond with the finals. Like, I think it's got. Oh, it might be too obvious. I, I'm with you yeah. on the too obvious. I'm not saying it's the most interesting storyline, but I'm saying that even if that's the storyline, yeah, it's great. It's still so satisfying. <laughs> yeah, hundred uh, percent. Harry Taylor went forward and. The experiment that people made fun of at the start of the year seems to be paying off. There's been a few games this year now where he's gone forward and kicked the bag. Yeah, he uh, cleaned up the Bulldogs in a game as well. And uh, the other thing is that I think that he, like, you know, the, the advantage of having someone like him playing on rants, yeah. I think it's just one of those things that will show other teams perhaps how you can pick up Alex Rance. Well, there's been a few teams that have done that now who basically you you send someone to play on, on Rance and you make him accountable. Like you actually sort of play on him. Uh, Nick Revolt did the same thing in that game where we thrashed the Tigers. But it's also, I just feel like if three games out from the finals you can drop one, 
I think it's not bad to have a loss just before the finals. I'm not off Richmond yet. I still don't think they have the kind of credentials of a Sydney, Adelaide or GWS. But God damn it, they have just like, they've got that Tiger Army, you know. And the atmosphere, I wasn't at the game, but you could tell in the last sort of like, the last half when the game was still sort of up for grabs, there was so much atmosphere. Like when you play Richmond, you're not just playing like the Tigers, you're playing all their fans as well. And look, Damien Hardwick, he made these comments after the game, which I think were sort of slightly misconstrued, where he talked about, you know, the home ground advantage. I think uh, Alan Richardson, what did he call it? The, uh, the, 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 oh. The approval, the the roar of approval, whatever it is. Oh, the the roar, the roar of affirmation. Affirmation, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, Dimmer made this comment where he's like, "Yeah, of course." Like, look at the free kick count, and then he followed up by saying, "And, and it's the same when the Tigers play." And I reckon that's a hundred percent right. Like, I don't think he was trying to say that free kicks, you know, were the reason they lost the game, but definitely the atmosphere at Skilled Stadium when the game was on the line, like that crowd became like an extra player for the for the team. Well, the other thing is, Charlie, the, the idea that you're not in some way influenced by the crowd is just completely and utterly ridiculous. As like a stand-up comedian, the thing that I know is the case is that if everybody's laughing, people will laugh more. Like you're, you're more likely to get everybody else involved in the show if like, you know, the crowd is a, a good crowd, right? Yeah. It's got to be the same with umpires. You get in a mob, you get in a crowd, you, you buy a tiki torch, suddenly you're a white supremacist. <laughs> Sometimes... Oh, hang on. <laughs> oh, my God. But you know what I mean? Yes. There is this uh, affirmation, like you said, the, the roar of affirmation, this idea of mob rule that, of course, comes into people's, would influence people in split decisions. Yeah, definitely. And what do you, uh, and uh, do you feel like there's been this discussion about if Geelong finish top four, do they get to play at Skilled Stadium? Yes. I mean, it depends who no, they play, I guess. No, but it's not. Why? Because it's not about winning a home final is not about winning at your home ground. It's about playing at the biggest ground in your state. It's about getting the most amount of people to the game. I, there's still a Victorian side. Just because they're outside of Melbourne doesn't mean they should get to play at Skilled Stadium. Okay, well, the first thing I will say about this is a couple of years ago, the Bulldogs were the victim of this because they played the Bulldogs Adelaide final that we went to at the MCG when the Bulldogs had earned the right to have that game at Etihad. Uh, so I think it's weird that they now do, with, with, they're saying that GWS, you know, would get a home final and they're saying that Geelong would get a home final. But I think if Geelong played GWS, for example, you'd play that at Simmons. I'd be fine with them playing that at Simmons. You know, like I think that, like, Makes sense to me. Like, Geelong isn't Melbourne. Like, I mean, it is a different city, right? Mm. I guess. I just don't think it's, it speaks to the spirit of what the final should be about, which is like, you know, you've got all these football fans and not all their teams can make it. So in the, you know, the final four weeks, everyone gets behind certain teams. You want to get as many people as possible. I think if you have it at Simmons Stadium, you might be limiting an extra 10,000 that could get to Eddie Hat or an extra 30,000 that could go to the MCG. You know what, Charlie? You've taught me around. Fuck them. <laughs> they should not get it down there. And GWS shouldn't get one either. They should have to play it at the... Well, they can't play... That's the problem, though, when you get to New South Wales, right? Because what if GWS finish higher than Sydney? But the biggest ground that they have available is the SCG. They can't go then and play at the Sydney Swans' home ground in a game against the Sydney Swans, can they? Bring back ANZ Stadium. Well, I mean, the problem with that is that I actually have to move seats out now, wouldn't they? <laughs> Haven't they just reconfigured it only for rugby league now? I'm not sure. 
That's the worst ground in Australia, NZ Stadium anyway. I hate watching football there. Uh, let's move up to uh, Queensland for the Q Clash, Will, um, which the Brisbane Lions won quite convincingly. I watched all of this game, mainly because I just wanted to check out this Brisbane team, and they're, f- they're really good. Like, I actually sort of wrote something on Twitter. They're, they're really fun to watch. They, they've got a lot of really good players. Hang on, what? You wrote to them on Twitter? No, I wrote something on Twitter. When I was watching their game. Oh, I thought you were, I literally were like, that was so good. I wrote to them on Twitter. Yeah, I wrote a fan like, letter. Dear Brisbane. Yeah. Well done. Dear Brisbane. I never thought these letters were real, but when, I, <laughs> but they, uh, they're a good team. Like they, 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 they seem to have like a good, they're still young, but they've got a good mix of those 50, 50 game players. And then these like young guns, like Hipwood and stuff. Um, and, and Shecky and Shecky, Shanky, Shecky, uh, uh, Shaki, whatever his name is, but they're um they're really great to watch. And Prestia is uh, not Prestia, fucking um, uh, Zorko is a gun, like an absolute gun. And Dane Beams is a gun, and even Clay Beams, who I haven't really paid much attention to, but it's like he's a good footballer too. I reckon they're on the right track. Oh yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about. I mean, they've got Dennis Pagan in charge. <laughs> I think he's really turned around the club. <laughs> and Chris no, Pagan, Dennis Pagan. Yeah. Like, um, Cragen, they've got old mate Cragen, yeah. the L- Lieutenant Cragen, you know, <laughs> the Kurgan. Uh, uh, I mean, you do have to acknowledge also that they were playing a completely uninspired GWS. Uh, is it, uh, Dean Solomon took over coaching duties for this week. Um, didn't know what chair to sit in at the start. He, uh, there was some vision from the coach's box in which, uh, the stats guy was sitting in his chair. And so he just took another seat. <laughs> Don't think Rocket would have stood for that. Um, but, I mean, what's what's the stats guy's story though? Like that's the issue there. It's not that's not Solomon's fault. How's the stats guy going? Well, Rocker's not here this week. I'm going to slide into the fucking coach's chair. He should have known better, right? Yeah. Well, I think they should just build something a bit Game of Thrones style, so you know which one is the coach's seat because they're all the just you know nondescript office chairs. But if it was like a throne bit out of old leather footballs or something like that, you'd know where the coach is meant to yeah, sit. Yeah, I love that. In fact, repurposed goalposts or something yes. like that. Or, or like, or broken phones or shit like that. And the, the coaches have to go and sit on it at the start of the game. And you see them like get into the throne and the crowd goes wild. I like it. Um, the gold case, Jesus, what do you do? We've, this has been our ongoing. Burn the whole place down? Seems like it. I don't know. Push, can push you, it into the ocean? Can you start again? I mean, would anyone notice? Like if you literally folded the Gold Coast and brought them back as the Gold Coast Sharks next year, would anyone even notice? Don't bring them back. No one would notice. Yeah, right. That's true. That is true. Like if you took that team out of the uh, out of the AFL conversation, it wouldn't. No one would even notice. Like when was the last time you spoke to someone about Gold Coast that wasn't Tom Lynch or Gary Ablett? Yeah, the only thing that you ever hear about Gold Coast is that Gary Ablett doesn't want to be there, despite the fact that they're paying him a million dollars. So that's got to be a reviewer of a place. Hey. I'm being paid a million dollars a year, and even I don't want to be here. It's um, I wanted it to work. I'm all for a national competition. I think it's better for the AFL if we can sort of get into these uh, areas where, that are rugby heartlands. But I don't know, man. I don't know. I just sort of feel like is it the Titans aren't even doing that well up there? It's not just AFL. It's just the Gold Coast in general. They don't seem to like what's good for them. Uh, in general, there's never been a successful, uh, like, sporting team out of the Gold Coast. Like, it's a, it's a dead spot. It's, it's cursed. I believe the whole thing's built on an Indian burial, burial ground or something. The whole, the whole joint's rotten. 
But what, like are, it's just, but what like are people literally just? What are people doing on their weekends that they don't want to watch a bit of sport? I mean, who knows what they're doing? Tanning or whatever, <laughs> whatever they do up there. Tanning, reading Warwick Kappa's autobiography, planning for the Commonwealth Games that no one will care about. Burn the place down and then cement over it <laughs> right. and pretend it never existed. <laughs> your kill. And apart from burning the place down and salting the earth, like what do you do? You just you can't keep pumping money into it. At some stage they're going to have to stand Mate. on their own two feet. Eventually you're just going to get someone to deal with the problem. <laughs> you ring up Jakey King, you ring up Tyrone Vickery, and you say, boys, we've got an issue on the Gold Coast. Can you sort it out for us? Insurance scam. Tony Cochran would be totally down yeah. for that. Like Tony Cochran yeah. would do the press conference still reeking like petrol. They're like, Tony, uh, right. any statement to make about the, the Gold Coast uh, training quarters burning down? No, no, nothing to say. You realize you're actually on fire now, Tony. No, no, I'm not. You're on fire. <laughs> yeah, I say write it all off, claim the insurance and move on with the rest of your life. If you uh, did bring them, if you sort of did fold them, how many of those players do you reckon you could, could rehome? I reckon there'd be a dozen, maybe less. I reckon, all right, let's go, go through them. So Stephen May gets a new home. Yep. Lynch gets a new home. No, I reckon. Two meter Peter. I reckon there's lots of talented players on their list. Yes, right. So they're talented players who just don't play well as a team. Is that what you're suggesting? I think they've been raised in a bad environment. I think there'd be plenty of clubs who'd be happy to, get their hands on a lot of that list and see if they could make them into better players. Well, surely there'd be plenty of that list who'd be looking to get out of there. I mean... Oh, mate, they want to get out of there. They want to subdivide and timeshare and fucking get out of there. That's what they want. In fact, that's what they should do. They should keep Gold Coast, but as a timeshare for the other clubs. So we keep the Gold Coast like venue, we keep the whole infrastructure, but just every club has one week where they play out of the Gold Coast as a home game as a timeshare operation. It's totally on brand for the Gold Coast. They don't want to support their own team, but you've got enough expats who live on the Gold Coast that if you had a Bulldogs game, then a Saints game, then a Richmond game, then a, it gets the players up on the Gold Coast for a week. They can get, you know, maybe this is another opportunity mid-season around the bye weekend for, for Swanee and... <laughs> Sorry, we just need to what the point out... What hell is that, going um, on? Mike Howell's had a malfunction. So... Normally, um, Michael, uh, who is our super producer, uh, he puts up the scores uh, on the little Skype call that Charlie and I are on. Uh, I don't know if he's just like had a stroke and fallen asleep at the keyboard, but literally there's just a series of successive threes. Now, it's probably some sort of computer uh, glitch, I'd imagine, rather than the fact that he's just passed out on the, on the keyboard. It's probably Skype's fault, but it was, look, it did look like, a, like we'd just seen a little glimpse into the matrix. Yeah. You know, like what you just like. Yeah, I mean, it's a sequence of three, three, threes, and then it goes plus two, and then it's a sequence of zeros. It does feel like the well, you know, they they there's that report a couple of weeks ago about the computers talking to each other. Like maybe you know, because we're doing this via Skype, you're in the states, I'm in Adelaide, and 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 Michael's in Portland, that the computers are all talking to each other. Maybe they're having their their take on what to do with the Gold Coast, and they let me just decode that. It says, yeah, burn the place to the ground. The computers agree. <laughs> That is their scientific statistical analysis is burn the place to the ground and never look back. Yes. On Saturday night, Will, the Adelaide Crows defeated the Bombers at Etihad Stadium in a assured performance. Yeah, they're good. Um, I heard that McGrath did a good job on Eddie Betts, though, despite the fact that the Bombers 
lost that one. But um, well, just, and, oh, what, what did you think about the Danaher incident? Because he kicked three goals at the start of the second quarter, I believe, and then he might have, like, you know, one of his boisterous moments and people have been making a fuss about the fact that it turned the momentum of the game or something. What? Yeah, he patted a dude on the head. I mean... Look, I think this is really this really comes down to how do you feel about Joe Danaher, and I like it. I actually I really like the fact that he is a bit of a dick, like not in a bad way, not in a Charlie Dixon kind of way, but he's a dickhead. Like in the in the way that you affectionately uh, Australians, uh, you know, I know we have a few American uh, listeners, but Australians do affectionately call their friends dickheads. Like, Will, you're such a dickhead, and I think that. Joe Danaher's a bit of a dickhead, and I like it. I think we need more of it. I don't know if it turned the momentum of the game. I felt like Adelaide always had control of this game and never really... It felt like it was Essendon were going to have to play above and beyond to win the game. Um, so I don't know if it turned the tide. I can understand being frustrated if, you know, they're still in the race to play finals and you felt like that was a thing that, that you know, that got you out of the, the finals race. But I don't feel like it was that one... One incident, and I and I don't want to discourage Joe Danaher from doing more of that because I think it's ace. Oh yeah, I like the personality, and also just by the way, if you really think that these AFL players who've trained all week and like are playing this game of super momentum where you have to be on your game somehow, it's that that turns the game. Then you're fucking kidding yourself, right? Like Luke Dalhouse got fucking booted in the face, and it didn't get the Bulldogs fired up. But you think Joey just ruffling someone's hair? Although. Lee Matthews did say on the radio a few weeks back, did you see that? That he said that, that to him, ruffling the hair was the highest insult you could give someone on the ground. Really? Why did he say yeah. that? Is that because he has no hair now? Well, he, in his order, these, these were the ones in order. Yeah. It was uh, ruffling the hair, spitting, and then jumper punching, I think, was the order. <laughs> My God. Yeah. That's like, I mean, that's because he is the greatest player of all time and opposites, man. Like, he would rather you punch him in the face than ruffle his hair. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But yeah, so I didn't see much of this, but it looks like, I mean, the thing about Essendon is, Essendon might make the finals, I guess. Um, but they, if they do, I, I don't think they're going to do much in the finals. Nah. It just feels like their best is very good, but it's not, uh, they're not able to reproduce it enough to be, you know, a really good finals team. I feel like Essendon and St Kilda actually fall into the same category this year, which is that our best performances are as good as any, but then the gap between our best and our worst, and there's just no consistency. Although I feel like there are, there's a lot more to be excited about with Essendon than, say, the Saints. Like, they, 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 feel a lot more dynamic. And a lot of those players who are all just like run and gun type players now, once they develop a different side to the game, then I think they're going to be really good. If I was an Essendon supporter, I'd be very optimistic about the future. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, poor old Joe Watson's not going to be around, but you know, he got, go to New York, got, get a coffee. Got to kick an awesome goal in uh, the second quarter though. Like that, that, that was like a, you know, it's one of those moments where it's like, you know, he probably won't, if they don't make finals, he's probably only got another couple of weeks. But that was a great moment to go out in his last three weeks. Like, just the way the players got around him, the way the crowd got behind him. I think at the fourth minute of the fourth quarter, he got, like, a standing ovation. Like, I mean, Joe really is... He, he, he's the collateral damage, you know, from all that Essendon fallout. He's the guy that everyone likes that you're like, well, fuck, man. I mean, he really had to take the hardest hit by giving back the brown though and stuff. And it's just good to see that at least... The respect he's getting on the way out it hasn't been sort of tarnished by any of that shit. Just for the record, I do not, I do not believe that he's given back the brown though. I feel like 
the the rumor around and every time I've heard him talk about it and the, everyone talks very vaguely about it. I've, I think they've kind of essentially said to him, yeah, look, you're not the Brownlow medalist anymore, but you know, look, we're not going to, we don't need it returned. It's not like we're giving your one to anybody else. So yeah, it's a bit like the uh, Bevo Bob Murphy grand final medal. You know, we'll say it, but you know, it's fine. Just hang on to it. It's fine, mate. It's fine. Um, we should just update people on what's going on with Michael. So we have this little message window where Michael feeds us information during the show. Over the last five minutes, it is just getting filled with hieroglyphics and nonsensical words. Like he's either getting attacked right now and he's desperately bashing at his keyboard trying to let us know that he needs help, or there's some problem with our computer. I'm just sending him a message, just asking Michael what's going on. It's look, it won't affect the show. We're professionals. If our producer is being attacked and killed. But um, uh, 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 we just want to know what's going on. Um, I mean, it does look like it does look like we're being hacked by another podcast. Yeah. Like, is there a chance that the guys from Junk Time or the girls from the Outer Sanctum have got together and they're just like, we're gonna get anonymous involved <laughs> and take down two guys who won't cut? Yeah, maybe. Over at the main stadium, uh, the Eagles did what they had to do against a very plucky Carlton. Um, this is a really good game. I I I switched across between this and the Saints game. And um, Carlton, mate, they are plucky. I tell you what, and I'm okay with plucky. Will I'll give you that much. <laughs> uh, our boy JJK uh, played sensational again out in front of the Coleman, despite the fact that he's missed half the season. He's a superstar. Amazing, amazing. Um, and uh, uh, it was uh, scores were tied round about. I think the second quarter, Levi Casbolt decided just to play some of the old stuff. Uh, took a mark with, was it about 10 seconds to go? The siren went just as he played on to pass the ball to someone else. It was, you know, Levi's been good this year. Um, and there's a lot of discussion about, you know, his contract at the moment, but that was probably not something you want to do while you're in the middle of contract negotiations, trying to express to the club you're at why you're indispensable. Yeah, it's fair to say that sometimes, you know, look, sometimes when you're a band, people want to see the old hits. Sometimes when you're Levi Casbolt, they'd prefer you do the new stuff. <laughs> I mean, he even had a moment later in the game, uh, sort of a, as a crunch goal where he missed everything. He's like directly, uh, directly in front, about 40 meters out. And it's like, Ooh, Levi, Levi, Levi. Like Dustin Martin is in the year of contract renegotiation and is just bumping his price by 25k each week. Levi, on the other hand, seems to be undercutting it. Yeah, what do you, imagine doing that sort of thing. You go, hey, Levi, the good news is that like some of the other clubs are talking five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars. Like, hey, this is life changing money. And then he goes in like uh, on Monday morning to his uh, manager's office and he's like, so uh, how's that five hundred, six hundred going? And they're going, well. Look, the good news is we can still get you 450, but as long as you don't play again for the rest of the season. <laughs> I mean, that's an interesting question. What do you think Levi is worth? I, I mean, he would probably be on about, what, 400,000 a year at Carlton, you'd think? Yeah, something. And apparently the yeah. offer is pretty much the same. There's, there's been no increase, which is why he's kind of not signed that contract. What do you think Levi should do? I mean, he could go to another club for sure, but it'd be a brave club to pay I... him anything more than 450, 500. Well, that's the point, right? I just think if you're another club, you'd be stupid to pay him six hundred or something like that. I think he's a four hundred thousand a year player because I just don't think he's kicking. He's kicking's okay now, but he's ne kicking's never going to be reliable enough that he's going to be worth too much more than that. And you've got to offer someone a lot more to get him out of a club. You would have thought. I mean, Carlton have stuck fat with him through some pretty tough times, and he's been a reasonably paid player at their club for a long time. I think you'd just. 
I mean, unless somebody came along and offered you like two or three hundred thousand more, like it'd be weird to leave. I would have thought. Well, he sort of came along at the. He's come good at the wrong time because when the expansion clubs were hitting the scene, he probably could have like if there was a new expansion club, he's a kind of player who probably could get six hundred thousand dollars because they need like a, a good marking key forward, but that time has passed now. So Levi, just take the money, stay at Carlton, you'll be happier. Yeah, exactly. Plus, we like a little Levi at the Carlton. We do. It's just it's it's not. Yeah, I like him there. He belongs there. Yeah. And so, what do we think about West Coast? Still a finals chance. I mean, West Coast are still most likely going to play finals. But again, they just feel like it feels like it's such a weird thing that it feels like if West Coast make the finals, that you just don't have any faith in them doing well in the finals at all. Whereas there's a couple of teams that are probably outside the eight where you go, well, if they made the finals, you never know. But West Coast doesn't feel like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, like with Kennedy back and him being on fire and, you know, if they manage to play a couple of games at home or a game at home and fuck, you never know. Yeah, I mean, they. I think West Coast after last week, from all the everything I read online from their supporters, they are all aware of where they are this year. So, finals would be a bonus, really. No one's expecting them to do anything, and so it just means the season goes in a bit longer. But you know, they're not going to do any damage. Okay, let's move on to the uh, the Demons and the Saints at the MCG. Oh God, what a horrible game this was to watch. Didn't turn up for the first quarter. We played two okay quarters. Couldn't kick fucking straight and then eventually lost by four goals. It was, you know what? It was a perfect statement of where, where we are at as a club. Like, moments of brilliance can obviously mix it when we have to, but we're just too inconsistent. And our goal kicking, like I know it's been discussed all year, but it's a fucking significant problem. We kicked four goals seven in that third quarter when we could, from coming from 40 points down, we could have taken the lead and taken the lead by quite significantly broken the back of that game but I don't know what the fuck is going on like I've I, I was chatting with a guy online about this and he was saying that forget Josh Kelly like our off-season recruit has got to be a goal-kicking coach we've got to get Sav Rocker down to the club well maybe that's what you do you recruit Levi Casbolt but only so you can get Sav I mean what do you think about goal-kicking like is it, it, it is it strange that an entire team could have the yips because it's not like it used to be for us that Nick Revolt was unreliable, an unreliable shot at goal. But now it's like we have no reliable shot. Like Tim Membry is probably our most accurate kick, but even he has had times this year where he's not kicking well. Is that a is it a coaching thing? Like I just feel like goal kicking is such an inherent part of the game. It's something that you're taught from such a young age. I find it hard to believe that a team of professional AFL footballers would need to practice their goal kicking. Well, I'm, I, they've got to practice their goal kicking, I imagine, but surely it's got to be about more the idea of A, where they're getting the ball so that they can kick, but B, the idea of how exhausted they are when they get the ball, like how much they're running before they have to get the ball, you know, all those sort of things. They've got to be a factor, right? Because it's such an important part of the game that if you, I mean, the Bulldogs have had heaps of trouble with this as well. And when we started to win was when we started to kick straighter. It's, it's, I mean, it's such a simple part of the goal. If you can do all that work and get it down there and score a goal, but it seems to be a thing that we find so difficult to do. I said at the start of this year, I felt like last year we overperformed and this year could be a plateau year. So if we finish on 11 or 12 wins, we finished on 12 wins last year, then it's been exactly the kind of year that I thought maybe we were going to have. And I also do feel there is there is a bit of uh, disjointedness in the club because of the changing of the guard, because of those senior players who, like Sean Dempster and Nick Revolt retiring and potentially Joe at the end of the year. 
And the younger guys, because my big problem with the Saints at the moment is I just don't see any leadership out there. Like, I don't know who the player is that we turn to when, you know, we're 40 points down and we need some inspiration. Like, it was great that we were able to fight back into the game. But I didn't see that Nick Revolt or that Lenny Hayes, you know, marshalling people and getting them to, you know, just getting their heads in the game. Like, they they still seem like there's a lot of kids out there. And what I'm hoping is that when Nick Revolt and uh, Lee Montagna step aside, that they'll have no choice but to step up. But who fucking knows? Like, it is a bit of a worry as far as I'm concerned. And Melbourne were great. Well, you've got... You've got two first-round draft picks, though. That's the the trick, right? Mm. Like, I mean, if you use those properly, whether you draft people or whether you use them to get, like, a you know, a Josh Kelly or somebody like that, that, that can be the game-changer. Yeah. Well, I think also, I mean, the, the Paddy McCartan thing has not come off. Like, he's three years into... He's 21 now, so the expectation was by this age he would be holding down that full forward position. And it hasn't happened, you know, and, and I think that that, the reason why Paddy McCartan was chosen, if you read any of the kind of Emma Quayle articles or anything like that, was that he was identified as being a natural born leader. Like he was a junior leader at his footy club, at his high school, and he, they thought he was the kind of guy that other players will get around. But they can't because he's never on the fucking field. So that has to be a big concern. Well, maybe, maybe that's the problem, Charlie. Mm. Maybe you've just identified the problem right there is that Paddy McCartan is such a natural leader that the fact that he's not playing is making the other players subtly not want to play as well. Like, because they want to get around him. So they want to be in the twos, <laughs> or they want to be, like, not, out not playing. Maybe they want to get concussion themselves. <laughs> you know, they just want to be around his sort of vibe, and maybe that's the problem. Speaking of uh, concussions, it was great to see Angus uh, Brayshaw playing footy again in the helmet, Caleb Daniel style. There was a heart-stopping moment uh, in the second quarter where he and Kobe Steven, uh, Stevens had a clash of heads where it just looked like, oh, fuck. Like, it looked really, really nasty. But to see him sort of play out the game, and he played really well off half-back, actually. Looks like he might have taken Salem's position. Um, but the Demons, look, I think they're ahead of us. I think that the game showed exactly where the difference is between the two clubs. They've just got that tiny bit more silk, tiny bit more leadership. They've got Jordan Lewis in there, Nathan Jones. And they looked the better side. Like, if we had won that game, I don't know how well we would have gone in, in the finals. We're very much in that West Coast um, bracket where we're just not quite good enough. Yeah, that sounds about right, unfortunately. I think both of our teams, Charlie, this year are going to be not quite good enough. In fact, I think this year, this is going to be the podcast that uh, we always imagined it was going to be. Two losers following loser football <laughs> teams talking about what it's like to be a loser. <laughs> Uh, on Sunday, the Hawks, uh, took down the Kangaroos, uh, 18, 816 to 14, 589. As part of Luke Hodges' swan song, um, it was, uh, great to see down in, uh, uh, down in Tassie, um, uh, all the Hawks fans get out. Ben Brown, to come back from that concussion and play as well as he did, like, We've talked about this before. North Melbourne are having just one of those years, those interim kind of years where they have to blood some new players and stuff. But he's a superstar. Like, I mean, he's the, he is the kind of player that you can build a team around. Key position forward who just fucking keeps going again and again and again. 
I mean, he's been the revelation of the year for North Melbourne, and he's the one that you've just got to be excited about if you are a shin boner. Like, I mean, he's he's just, I mean, the Tasmanian connection. This is your classic, you know, get you know North Melbourne down to Tassie. Like, he's the gateway drug to the Tasmanian experiment really happening is that your best player is a, like a homegrown Tasmanian player. Like, I can see Ben Brown being the richo of North Melbourne. Oh, yeah, 100%. And he seems like a nice guy off the field as well. Um, Hawthorne continue their rebuild with their, their team of unknowns. I'm not enjoying this. Are you enjoying this? O'Meara got, uh, kicked three goals and got 25 touches in the twos in three quarters. Yeah, so that looks like it's going to work out well for them as well. And you know what would be great? Right. Would be to see Hawthorne take on GWS in a grand final. Like, two teams that you just don't want to see win. Like, Cobra Kai versus Cobra Kai 2.0. I mean, I would love it because Hawthorne, if they managed to like scrape their way through, just like the old, the old timer, just having one more fucking shot at the title, like you know, just using every trick in your bag, every bit of dirty play, every bit of like cunning, every bit of grit up against the new flash, you know, yeah, that would be that would be pretty fantastic. I wonder if that could happen. I mean, do you think? Do you think that, how long do you feel Hawthorne will be out of the finals? Uh, to me, it feels like a year or two at the most. I mean, they could be playing finals this year if everything goes right. I don't think they can, can they? Can, 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 Very, I mean, like if ex- if the results go exactly as they need them to, then they could. They're a mathematical right. possibility. Yes. I mean, wouldn't that be the fucking greatest thing of all in this unpredictable season if Hawthorne end up fucking making the grand final? <laughs> and winning. Great. That would just be awesome. Uh, let's move on to the final game because I know uh, everyone's got places to be today. Well, anyone involved in this show, yep. apart from Mike Cal, who still hasn't responded to our messages. No, I'm, I'm starting to get a little worried now because I thought before, because like, he had other commitments today as well, and I thought, well, maybe he'd gone off to arrange something or whatever. But the fact that there's a series of uh, symbols and numbers and stuff that have come up on the screen and then he's not replied to your what's going on <laughs> message has, look, I mean, there's some fears. There is a chance that we have just stumbled on with this ridiculous podcast, despite the fact that our AI slash producer has in somehow contracted a virus and gone down. But let's hope not. That's not the case. Well, like we like the professionals we are, we'll just continue with the show uh, and send it off to Mike Cal at the end, even if we don't hear from him, assuming that everything will be okay. <laughs> Uh, the final game, uh, Port Adelaide defeated uh, their Magpie rivals, the Collingwood Magpies. Um, you know, perfunctory kind of wasn't quite backs against the wall enough for Collingwood. They showed a little bit of fight, but then, you know, the better team won in the end. It wasn't the most inspiring game. Um, again, like the Frio-Sydney game, the, the most interest appeared to happen off the field um, with the coach and Nathan Buckley. Really, oh man, like he's really had it in for the media. For a guy who potentially could be working in the media next year, he's really had a go at them this year. I mean, he's really following the Mick Malthouse path into the media of spending the entire year before you go into the media bagging the media and talking about how terrible the media are before you earn hundreds of thousands of dollars working in the media the next year. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, do you think we have to ask, because it's the recurring question whenever you talk about Collingwood, is Buck safe? I feel like he is now, don't you? Well, 
he, no, I don't. But really, I, I think that's probably the most likely thing. I don't think he's safe, uh, but I think it's the most likely is they'll rebuild around him. But I think there's going to be a lot of Collywood fans who won't be happy with that, and I still think there's going to be more trouble there. Here's what I would say is I'm a bit worried about how mad he is about everything. I know that this week that was a really terrible story and whatever, but he's got to chill a little. Like To <laughs> me, it feels like the attitude that he's got to the media is like, they're going to be the ones who are there for you, man. Yeah. Stop lashing out at the people who are going to be there for you. It's like he's read. He, 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 it's like he put, he was down at the bookshop and he picked up a book that he thought was about uh, AFL football and how to coach it called The Game. And what he's actually doing is he's negging, negging. the media. <laughs> yeah, he, he's negging them because that is the only solution. And what do you what do you think about Port? Like, what are they going to do? They're, to me, they're a bit of a wild card because on their best day. With all, they've got a great list. They feel like they could beat anyone, but they just don't seem to pull it together when they need to. Yeah. I mean, it, it, look, it's just one of those things where you think they're a good team against teams that are not as good as them, but it's hard to know if they're going to beat anyone above them. All right, let's quickly look ahead to next week before we wrap up. On Friday, the Crows take on the Sydney Swans at Adelaide Oval. Uh, this would be a cracking game, won't it? This is The Friday nights this, this year have been pretty good, in my opinion, don't you reckon? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this will be no exception. Gee, it's a hard one to pick. I, this is the kind of game, like Adelaide have been solid the last, the solid the last month and Sydney, they had that one loss, but, oh man, it's hard to pick. I feel like this is the kind of game where Sydney could fucking surprise some people. I'm going to pick Sydney. Uh, where's this game at? Tell me Adelaide, where this game's Adelaide at again, Oval. sorry. AO. Adelaide Oval. I'm going to say, oh gee, this is a tough one to pick, isn't it? I'm going to say Adelaide at home. Adelaide at home for me. On Saturday, the Mighty Bulldogs take on Port Adelaide at MSB. What's that, Manica? Oh, so this is uh, this is the Bulldogs game, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's at Ballarat. Oh. This is the their first ever game at Ballarat. Why didn't they do this during bloody Foxtel's rural round? It would have made more sense. I don't think the ground was ready yet. I think that was basically the problem. I don't think it was ready until like round 22 or whatever it is. So uh, that's why it's scheduled now. But um, obviously Bulldogs home game in Ballarat. I mean, huge. I, I imagine Ballarat for us will be like, uh, you know, Simmons Stadium is for Geelong. Uh, this will be a real fortress for us, Ballarat, our spiritual home. Uh, obviously, we've put in a new stand. I'm expecting the new stand bump that teams normally get in this situation. So Bulldogs, obviously. Is it going to be like a, a traditional country footy game where there'll be dudes like with their cars parked up on the hill honking the horn after every goal i hope so and i hope that some of those are bulldogs players who are injured that's what i would like to see <laughs> i'd like to see them get the injured players in in cars in in cars around the ground just singing beers with the light if the game goes a bit late then just whack the lights on so people can see yeah great great uh i'm gonna pick the bulldogs in that game uh, later that afternoon collingwood take on uh geelong at the mcg in a cracking encounter uh, now, where are Collingwood's backs in proximity to the wall, Will? Uh, look, this is a hard game to pick. Uh, I would say Collingwood's, I, that, I think it's just all, all over for them this season. I don't think you have to, like, I mean, they've done everything that they could do this season. I don't think there's much left in the Collingwood story. Yeah, uh, Geelong really need to win this. Selwood's still out, but Danger's back. Is Hawkins still out? He got How many weeks did he get? One or two? This is the kind of game that Collingwood, you know what? This game means nothing, but it's in front of a big crowd. So that, to me, suggests Collingwood is going to win it. I'm going to pick the Pies. I'm going to say Geelong. On uh, Saturday, late afternoon, the Giants take on West Coast at Spotless Stadium. Giants for me. The Giants are just, they're, they're just, they're fucking just starting to hum at the right time of the year. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that, this will be a tough day for West Coast. Um, who will Toby Green punch or kick? Who's the most adorable West Coast player? JJK. There's no, they play at opposite ends of the ground. Wouldn't happen. Has to be a defender. Uh, I mean, it'd be great if he he went to the whole effort, though. Yeah. Like, if he went to the effort of running the whole way down the other end of the ground just so he could kick JJK in the face. <laughs> okay. I'm going to pick GWS in that game. <laughs> Me too. Saturday night, the Gold Coast take on Essendon up at Metricon Stadium. Uh, Essendon. I, I just, Gold Coast are, just don't exist in my mind anymore. As you said, we'll burn it to the ground. Yeah, burn it to the ground. But, yeah, Essendon for this one to still be in the finals. On Saturday night. Carlton take on the Hawks at Etihad Stadium. Um, wow, geez. I guess this would be Hawthorne. Yeah, this is Hawthorne. Keep winning. They'll keep winning, and it makes that Bulldogs game in the final round probably worth something for at least one of the two teams that are playing in it. So, yeah, I'm going to say Hawthorne will win this one as well. On Sunday, the Demons are back at the MCG hosting the resurgent Brisbane Lions. Um, Melbourne has just have to keep winning to ensure their place in the eight. And uh, Brisbane, Brisbane have done enough this year. They don't have to try too hard. Be a good game to watch. A lot of young talent out in the field. I'll pick uh, Melbourne in this game. I am going to uh, go by the theory that I need Melbourne to lose this one for the Bulldogs to have a shot of really sneaking into the finals. Uh, plus, you know what? Melbourne are always at their most vulnerable when They've they should win. win and win easily. So I'm just going to go one out of the box and... That's my lock of the week. Brisbane. Brilliant. I love it. Uh, at Penis Stadium, Frio host Richmond. Now, God, this could, anything could happen in this game, right? Like two of the flakiest teams in the history of the AFL. Who knows what could happen? Like, I think, I mean, I've, Frio have been my, like my upset team of the year because they just seem to turn it on. This feels like, there's, they have no, they have no right to win this game. It feels like they could. I'm going to pick Frio just because it's very Richmondy, and that's my luck of the week. Uh, there is no way that Richmond will lose this. This is, this is them bouncing back, having a nice run into the finals, but just still having those nerves and voices at the back of their mind. And the final game is a dead rubber, uh, St Kilda taking on North Melbourne, but worth noting as Nick Revolt's farewell game. I shall be there for this. Um, look. Even if North Melbourne are a chance of winning, they should not win. They should honour Nick Revolt for the ornament who's been to the game and just lay down, let him kick a couple of lazy goals, get his lap of honour, carry him off. It doesn't matter for anyone else, North. You'll just get a high draft pick. The Saints will get to send off one of their champions. That's how this day should unfold. I'm picking the Saints. Keep the uh, case that encloses the shin bonus spirit locked for the weekend. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to go with the Saints on this one as well. Okay, great. And that's uh, that's it. So uh, is there anything we need to plug? Oh, yeah. We're doing uh, shows at the Opera House September 15th and 16th as part of the Just for Last Festival. Um, it's not football related, but it's still pretty much the same thing. It's Will and I on stage with some very funny comedians doing pretty much the same thing. So uh, tickets still available for the second show on Saturday, September 16th. So if you just Google TOFOP at the Opera House, it'll take you to the right place. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we will be at the LA Podcast Festival as well, doing our show TOEFOP over there as well, as if you are one of our international listeners, or maybe you're an Australian who's thinking about travelling to LA for the LA Podcast Festival. That's going to be an absolutely huge show. And we have a website you can check out. It's TOEFOP.com, where you can find links to this and other amazing podcasts. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, what else do we have to tell people, Will? Is that it? 
I think that's it, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, well, I, we, we hope that Michael's okay. Yeah, we haven't heard from our producer for the last We like, haven't heard hour. back from Michael. And to be honest, it's been distracting me a little <laughs> in the last few minutes because I've just been starting to go, hang on, is he okay? All right. So we'll wind the show up so we can actually jump on a call <laughs> and, and make sure our producer's still alive. So I say play on, not 15. Ball. We are two guys, one car. 